Thank you, Walter. Greetings to all of you who are joining us online. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And Marshall is in Africa with his family for the next three Sundays. So I'm going to be preaching this morning. Ian, who is our RUFI minister at Northwestern, is going to preach next week. And then we're going to have Ethan Brown, who's the RUF minister at the University of Illinois, preaching on the 17th. And then after that, we're going to have a three-part series on the Psalms entitled, Why We Sing. So that's what we have coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, This morning, I've chosen a passage for us from the book of Philippians. And the title of our message this morning is Christ, Our Only Gain. Christ, Our Only Gain. Before we begin, let me pray for us. Father, by your Spirit, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. There are many words spoken in this world. The words of this world are like grass that withers and fades and flowers that fade, but your word will stand forever. Father, may your word by your spirit reign in our hearts this morning that we might know you and love you and obey you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I have a survey to start us out this morning, so please answer honestly by raising your hand to answer yes, if you want to answer yes to any of the following questions. How many of you are tempted to find your worth in your accomplishments, things such as your GPA, your degrees, your position at work, or your talents? How many of you are tempted to find your worth there? How many of you are tempted to find your worth in what other people think of you, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family? Okay. How many of you are tempted to find your worth in your status, your looks, your home, your fashion sense, cars, vacation, monetary wealth, country club membership? Anybody here tempted to find your worth in your status? How many of you find that you're often striving to obtain these things for yourselves and possibly for your children? Anybody? All right. So it looks like this will be an applicable message for you because if you raise your hand like I did, and some of us for all of them like I did, then this message is going to be pointed directly at you. The reason I chose this passage is because I believe that we have a blind spot here at Grace and on the North Shore. It's a blind spot that I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses. The good news of the gospel is that God is in the business of opening our eyes to our blind spots. And in so doing, he gives us freedom. I believe that if we can see this blind spot, not only will we have a greater freedom in Christ, we will also be a light to our friends and our neighbors on the North Shore who need their eyes opened to this blind spot as well. The blind spot is this. I believe we often place our confidence in the gain of this world rather than in Christ. And by confidence, I mean the things in which we place our trust. The things we rely upon for our security and our status and our worth. And this misplaced confidence is built upon the world's economy of gain. The world's definition of what will profit us and what will be advantageous to us. And what this leads us to do is to base our worth on our accomplishments, our status, and on other people's opinions of us. But here's the catch. Gain outside of Christ is a mirage. 
The gain of this world offers, offers us is a fleeting gain. It's a temporal gain. One that promises freedom if we worship it, yet actually leads us to slavery. It's a lie that leads us to exhaust ourselves, chasing after a mirage in the desert of this world. And just when we think we've attained it, what does it do? It, it vanishes. I chase this mirage... My fellow adults, I believe you chase this mirage. Young people, I think you're chasing this mirage. And oftentimes, parents, we are chasing this mirage for our children. Basing our worth on things other than Christ, it is the air that we breathe. It's so common, so pervasive, we barely even notice it anymore. But I believe the gospel message in this passage will open our eyes to help us see this blind spot. This is a message of hope. And it's a message of freedom. We don't have to live by the world's definition of gain. With all of the jockeying and the coveting and the grinding and the anxiety of living for the world's gain. That's what it produces in us. We have all the gain that we will ever need in Christ. Now to be clear, finding this freedom in Christ, it comes with Sacrifice, the sacrifice of taking up our cross and following Christ. But the freedom that Christ offers us, unlike the world, it is true and it is lasting and it leads to eternal gain. And it's this hope that Christ calls us to in this passage. It's also this hope that if we can truly grasp it, it can bring both freedom to us and to all those around us who live as slaves of this world and who desperately need to hear the message of gospel freedom. The main point this morning is this. In Christ, we have all the gain that we will ever need. Therefore, we are free to no longer live for the empty promises of this world. In Christ, we have all the gain we will ever need. Therefore, we are free to no longer live for the empty promises of this world. Point number one is this, confidence in the flesh. So Paul is rounding out his letter with his final greetings, and like all good preachers, he says, finally are in conclusion, but he's actually only about halfway home in the book. And to begin these closing remarks, he turns to this autobiographical exhortation. He's going to start talking about himself in order to help them see a point. And it's one, and one that calls them to put their confidence in Christ rather than in deeds of the flesh. So in verse 2, he warns them to look out for those who will lead them to find their confidence in anything outside of Christ. In this case, he is addressing Jews of his day that called people to find their worth in their religious observance rather than in Christ. And so that's what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about circumcision. To give you a little context, circumcision is the sign of the Old Covenant, just like baptism is the sign that we have as believers in the New Covenant. And circumcision was intended to be a good thing. It's supposed to point to justification by faith. But the Jews of Paul's day, they had distorted this sign. Rather than it pointing to freedom in Christ or justification by faith, it became a marker that allowed them to point themselves to their own accomplishments as the means of saving themselves. It pointed to, we can save ourselves through works of the law, therefore we must be circumcised. It led them to trust in themselves rather than in God's goodness to save themselves. And this type of living based on our own accomplishments is what Paul calls confidence 
in the flesh, believing in ourselves. Paul then shifts gears in verse 4, and then he begins this autobiographical illustration of the futility of placing confidence in the flesh. So look with me at verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So what Paul is illustrating from his own life is that if anyone had reason to have confidence in his religious resume, Paul had reason to have confidence. Paul had a religious person's resume of resumes. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He had received the sign that these Jews wanted him to receive. He is a pure-blooded Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he has the pedigree, the genetic pedigree. As to obedience to the law, he's in one of the most conservative and fastidious sects of Israel, the Pharisees, who obeyed every law to the nth degree. And as for zeal, he had persecuted the church whom he thought were blasphemers. In other words, he was blameless according to the standards of accomplishment, status, and worth that the Jews of his day thought you needed to have in order to be saved. It'd be like a a modern person saying, I am from a prestigious, blue-blooded, northeastern family. I was educated at the most elite institutions. I have a killer job with a great salary. I have great connections with powerful people. I have a beautiful home, cars, vacation spots, and country club memberships. I have a movie star good looks. I have a great marriage, successful children. I'm a member at my church, and I regularly give back to my community. In other words, I have everything you could ever want and that everyone covets. I am... The Hebrew of Hebrews, the modern man of modern mans, the religious man of our time. And that's what Paul is trying to illustrate here. You think that you can save yourself by works of the law. I've tried it. I've done it. I've done it better than you can do. I've done all of these things, and yet it is not enough. Although Paul is playing up his resume, he's going to tear it back down in just a moment. But we can often do the opposite. And here's what I mean. I've never been in a place where the average person has more accomplishments to brag about than the people that I regularly interact with here on the North Shore. I've also never lived in a place where our accomplishments are as front and center as they are here on the North Shore. And if you don't believe me, consider a simple activity which we engage in almost every day, how we introduce one another. This is Bob. He, this is Sue, she, this is, these are Bob and Sue's children, they. In how many instances in, is the person's name immediately followed by a condensed version of their resume? This is even more the case when the person we are describing isn't present. Have you met so-and-so that they do this, they've got this job, they went to this place, their kids are doing these things? And it's resume, 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 resume. And in that moment, do you know what we're doing, consciously or not? What we're doing is trafficking in worldly gain, using accomplishments as the primary way in which we view ourselves and view others. 
And I believe we do so because oftentimes it's the primary way in which we view ourselves. Now, my concern is not that we introduce one another and share things about one another. So don't police yourselves like, ah, I can't introduce them with their resume anymore. That's not the point. Because <laughs> we, we won't have much to say. Uh, the point is the heart issue. What does it reveal about us? If this is how we view ourselves and others, it will shape how we live. Living by the world's standard of gain will lead us to put our confidence in our own accomplishments rather than the accomplishments of Christ. And that simple act oftentimes reinforces that we are defined not by who we are in Christ, but by what we have done in this life. And when we do so, it will lead us to base our worth on our own accomplishments rather than what God says about us. If you want a window into what you're placing your confidence in, ask yourself a few of these diagnostic questions. What do you take pride in? What gives you your sense of worth? When you brag on others, what do you point to in their lives? What do you fear losing? What keeps you up at night? What do you covet? What do you wish you had that others around you have? All of these questions, they're windows into our souls and they reveal the things in which we are placing our confidence. But to worship by the Spirit of God and to glory in Christ, which is what verse 3 says, we are called to place our trust in Christ to find our security and worth in Him, not in our own accomplishments. But in order to do so, we must grasp what Paul calls us to put our confidence in, which is this, point number two, the surpassing worth of Christ. Point number two, surpassing worth of Christ. Look with me at verses seven to nine. But whatever gain I had, and he just listed off a lot of gain, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now these verses, they prompt a couple of questions for us. First, what's so valuable about Christ that gaining him makes all other worldly gain loss and rubbish by comparison? Now I believe the answer to this question is the righteousness that Christ offers through faith in him, verse 9. But this prompts the second question. Why is righteousness so valuable and how is it connected to worldly gain and confidence in our accomplishments? In other words, how does the righteousness that Christ offers us free us from the need for worldly gain and confidence in the flesh? Now, I think to answer to this question, we have to understand that righteousness is all about standing. It's about our status Righteousness establishes our relationship with God, giving us full affirmation from God that he loves us and full access to relationship with him. 
Now, I started this morning's sermon with questions about where we find our worth and our accomplishments and our status in others' opinions of us. All of these things, they give us worth. They give us standing. They give us status. And what Paul here is pushing us to do is to make a decision, to make a choice between resting in the good standing of God's approval or striving to obtain the good standing offered by the world. Are you going to rest in what God says about you? Are you going to rest in what the world has to say about you? The world asks us to establish our worth and right standing through accomplishments and status symbols. However, as we all know, establishing our worth and right standing on these things is like building house upon the sand. The standards are ever-changing. Have you ever noticed this? What's required in order to be accomplished? What's required in order to have status? It constantly changes, and it's unstable because any given moment, at any given moment, someone more powerful, someone more beautiful, more intelligent, more accomplished, more wealthy, they can suddenly rob us of the standing and status that we thought we had. There's always someone who's got more and done more and will be more than us. So building our life upon the standards of the world, it's unstable and constantly changing. But not so with Christ. The righteousness offered to us through Christ, it is secure because it isn't based upon anything that can be found in us. It's based upon the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is unchanging, Perfectly stable. What God offers us through Christ is approval. It's affirmation. It's security. It's love. It's worth. And it's all of these things and they can never be taken from us because they aren't based on our imperfect performance. They are based on Christ's perfect performance. But this right standing given to us by faith, it does come at a cost. Here's the cost. Receiving the gain Christ offers requires that we count as loss and rubbish all of the accomplishments and status symbols that give us standing in the world. Faith is a self-emptying trust in Christ that no longer looks to our accomplishments, but to the accomplishments of Christ It requires that we both recognize our need, that our accomplishments are not enough. And it requires us to sacrifice all of the accomplishments and status that we so often trust in, in order to trust in the superior accomplishments of Christ. But this is so, this is so hard for us. We are hardwired to base our worth and our standing before God and others on our performance and our accomplishments and all of our attainments. Every day the world will tell us that we are what we wear, what we look like, the people we know, where we are educated, the home we own, the job we have, our GPA. It will tell us over and over and over again, this is where you can find your worth. Even though living this way enslaves us to a never-ending grind of coveting and jockeying for position and anxiety, we keep doing it because we barely know anything else. As scary as it may sound to let go of your accomplishments as the measure of your worth, doing so is the only pathway to genuine freedom. The good news of the gospel is that we can have freedom from the constant pressure and the futility of trying to validate our own worth based on our accomplishments. 
Hear this. The good news of the gospel is that you are loved by God regardless of your accomplishments. Let me say that again in a very accomplished room of people. The good news of the gospel is that you are loved regardless of your accomplishments. God's love for you has nothing to do with your resume. Nothing. It is solely based upon what Christ has done for you. Christ who lived for you, died for you, rose for you, and will one day come again for you. God does not view you through your resume. He sees you through the lens of Christ. Believing this, living in this way, it is the pathway to freedom. And friends, hopefully right now your heart is open to the freedom I'm offering you. But the hope of this freedom comes at a cost. Which brings us to our final point. Hard point to end on. Suffering, death, and resurrection, life. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. He suffers all these things, counting them as loss and rubbish... That I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, suffering the loss of all things and counting them as rubbish, rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ meant embracing suffering and death and doing so... Because he also embraced the hope of resurrection life in Christ. The good news of the gospel is that it is a story of hope. It's a story of freedom and security. Because through the good news of the gospel we have a status that cannot be changed or taken from us. But embracing the gospel requires that we also live by faith. A faith that requires us to join Christ in his suffering and death. So that we might have the freedom that Christ's resurrection life offers. This requires us to turn from the gain of the world and all of the temporal hope and security it offers. In order to embrace a life of suffering and death. Knowing that the resurrection life that Jesus offers is far superior than any pleasure, accomplishment or attainment this life can ever bring. It means swimming against a very strong current of what the world values and calls gain. It means forfeiting the gain of the world in order to have the gain of life with Christ. Paul had all the status the world could offer. Among his peers, he had the resume of resumes, yet he chose to exchange the temporal and fleeting gain of this world for the eternal gain of Christ. Now, some of you might say, do we really have to choose between these things? Can't we have both? Do I really need to choose between confidence in my accomplishments and confidence in Christ? In fact, aren't all of the accomplishments that I have in my life good things? In other words, isn't excellence important? And isn't pursuing excellence a worthwhile endeavor? And I would say absolutely it is. Excellence is what we are called to by God. But excellence and the benefits that accrue to it are not ends in and of themselves. They are a means to the end of glorifying Christ through our vocation and using the privileges that accrue to us to bless others and glorify Christ in the world in which we live. 
That being said, we must be prepared for a day when to live for the gain of Christ may mean we are excluded from the upper echelons of society. Friends, there may come a day when we will be unable to have our cake and to eat it too. A time when we will have to choose between the gain this world and the gain, and the gain of Christ. A time when we will have to choose to suffer with Christ rather than to have the affirmation of this world. My concern, and it's for me and for all of you, is that we have not sufficiently steeled ourselves for these moments, which I believe are here and are only going to come with greater frequency. That we have grown accustomed to a respectable Christianity that allows us to profess Christ while still having all the gain that this world has to offer. In effect, living as though we will never have to choose between the gain of this world and the gain of Christ. But Christ makes clear that following him requires just this type of decision making. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 18 or Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The question for all of us is this. Are we ready to follow Christ when it means counting the gain of this world as loss? When following Christ means embracing the shame of the cross, which leads to resurrection life, rather than receiving the affirmation of this world, which ultimately leads to slavery to this world and death. As hard as these words were to write, and they were challenging to me to write, and they are now to preach, my hope is that we can embrace this message of sacrifice with an eye towards not just the sacrifice of it, but also the freedom that it offers. Embracing the gain of Christ over against the gain of this world, it frees us to stop living through our performance as though it is the measure of who we are in this world. It allows us to get off the hamster wheel of anxiety and pressure that so often enslave us. Embracing the grain of Christ will also impact how we live. For instance, living this way would possibly give some of us greater balance between work and home life, recognizing that we are more than what we do, we are more than the next promotion, we are more than the next raise. That isn't what defines us, therefore we can put it in its proper place. It would also allow us to place boundaries around the activities of our children because we would realize that as important as preparing them for college is and for their future is resumes Degrees and job prospects, hear me, are not ultimately what we are living for. In fact, the most important investment we can make in our children is their spiritual development, which is far more important than any social, athletic, or academic development that we could ever give them. And I'm saying that as a parent of three kids. It would give us freedom to open up with others about who we truly are, rather than constantly keeping up the facade of perfection which so many of us put forward. 
This in turn would deepen our friendships. If we're no longer living for our performance, we don't have to put up the facade like we've got it all together. Because friends, we don't. We can drop the facade. We can be real with one another. It will deepen our friendships. It will deepen our community as a church. This is the freedom that Christ offers us. It's also the freedom that we have the privilege to offer those around us. Friends, is there any more relevant message to people on the North Shore? You cannot justify yourself by your accomplishments. The only thing that you can do to be saved is to turn from those accomplishments and trust in Christ. Friends, what a message of freedom that we can offer those around us who just like us live every single day either enslaved or tempted to slavery to base their worth on what they do rather than what Christ has done. It's a message of freedom and it's the message that we can bring to our neighbors. Friends, in Christ we have all the gain that we will ever need. Therefore, we are free to no longer live for the empty promises of this world. May we embrace the freedom we have in him and may we offer the good news of this gospel message of freedom to those who live around us. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that your word would have its way in our hearts, that you would open our eyes to areas in which we find our worth and standing before you, others, and ourselves based on anything other than Christ. And may we count all those things as loss and rubbish and run to true and eternal freedom that's offered to us in Christ. I ask in his name. Amen.